Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to the Pastor Duke Podcast. Thanks for tuning me in today. I hope to be a blessing to you. Wow, it's been a crazy weekend. Got to travel to New Hampshire to speak to a group of young people at a spiritual retreat. Got to go to Barry, Vermont and minister to Websterville Baptist Church, one of the churches high on my heart. My wife got to speak to a ladies group and uh, so proud of her. But the same questions were arising from both places, from a group of young people from ninth to 12th grade and from just a church up in Barrie, Vermont. Questions about what is going on in the world, how bad might things get before Jesus chooses to return and take us home to the Father's house. I came up with this um, podcast thought, uncertainty does not rule the heart of true believers. Uncertainty does not rule my heart. I think we all sense the nervousness that prevails in our COVID world. Uncertainty seems to be ruling the day. 24-7 blasting of news and fake news has left our culture not quite sure just what to or who to believe. People who trust in the mainstream media have a deepening, unsettled fear with hatred and anger towards those who don't buy into their agenda. Mandatory vaccines have not been seen in this world since Nazi Germany, but they're back. My inbox is full. My phone is ringing from across the country as fear is creeping even into some Christian hearts. I was asked by those kids at camp. I was asked by the people in Barrie, Vermont, uh, that same question. How bad may things get before our Lord uh, returns to take us home with the rapture of the church. And I remind them, it's already bad if you're a Christian in China, in Afghanistan, or any Islamic country. We American Christians have had a sanctuary of protection more than any generation of Christian believers forever. All through the church age, we've kind of had the easiest way to go. Martyrdom and uh, imprisonment has not been part of the North American church experience, but that very question is in the forefront of a lot of North American believers' minds as they watch the unfolding of prophetic events in the last days as we watch Satan tightening his grip. Well, I have no special insight or revelation on this question, but I do have the written word of God. I do have the Holy Spirit abiding in me. I do have access by faith into this grace wherein I stand. I do have guardian angels watching over me. I do have 100% accuracy in fulfilled prophecy that gives me confidence concerning the prophecies yet unfulfilled. I do have a knowledge of history and the exact agenda that Satan will temporarily be allowed to exact upon our Christ-rejecting world. God told us what to expect. I am watching the hand of reality fitting perfectly into the glove of prophecy. And I don't really like what I'm seeing, but none of it surprises me. I want to take you to an anchor for your soul. Verses uh, in Hebrews Chapter 12, verse 27 says, And this word yet once more signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken. This world is shaking. 
God will remove those things that are shaking as the things that are made, man-made things, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. He's got this. He's on the throne no matter who is president. Jesus is always king. Things are shaken, which just causes me to just rely completely upon the things that I know never shake. The word of God remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. It changes not. I do believe our most trying hours have come for the church of Jesus Christ in America. We all sense the tightening of Satan's grip in our culture. Prophetic scripture speaks of a time when God will separate the sheep from the goats. In 2 Thessalonians 2, whole chapter given to end times uh, conditions, tells us there will be a falling away, an apostasia, falling away from faith for many just prior to the rise of the Antichrist. I believe that those days are now upon us. I see those very things happening. Christians were labeled cannibals in the early church for their wording on the Lord's Supper. When Jesus said, take, eat, this is my body. When he said, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, drink ye all of it. They called them cannibals. Hillary labeled us deplorable and unredeemables for our stand against abortion and our embrace of historic Judeo-Christian moral code. I am now labeled a domestic terrorist for not taking a COVID vaccine. Even though I've had COVID, I have the antibody, I am safe from COVID, cannot spread it to anyone. We know the spirit behind the totalitarian globalist agenda to be Satan himself, a spirit of fear, a spirit of hatred, a spirit of anger, the father of all lies and the murderer from the beginning. We know who he is, what his agenda is. We do not know the exact time frame of how and when that will unfold. You know, Christians have always been targeted by wicked governance ever since Cain killed Abel. The Jewish Sanhedrin targeted the first generation of the church. Roman emperors signed many decrees targeting Christians. Nero burned Rome and blamed it on Christians. Nazism tried to silence the church. Communism attempted to crush the church, but it went underground. Socialism has always tried to choke the church out. Liberalism has tried to pervert the church, and false teachers have tried to divide the church. Yet the gates of hell have not prevailed against Christ's church. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So I think we can safely say, as God allows the evil one to tighten his grip, Christ's church will not be in good favor with the growing globalist agenda. Let's face it, we are their bad guys. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. Bottom line, we win. Our victory is not even in slight jeopardy. We are not fighting for victory. We are fighting from victory. He arose, the one who rose from the dead, promised that we will rise also, that he will return and take us to the Father's house. We win. They lose. 
and they pay an eternal price for their Christ rejection. We reap eternal rewards for our commitment to Christ. I ask you, were the disciples safe in the boat in the middle of the sea, in the middle of the night, in the middle of the storm? They were right where Jesus wanted them. Their fear was absolutely real, but I would say it was absolutely illegitimate. It was absolutely unfounded. You see, it was a testing time and a learning time for them. Time for them to go deeper in their trust with Jesus. He soon came walking (laughs) uh, unto them on the water saying, Hey guys, I already have under my feet what threatens to be over your heads. Three little words from his holy lips settled it all. Peace be still. Huge lesson for them. They really could trust him. But I don't think it was just a lesson for them. I think it's a lesson for us as well as our social seas, our political seas continue to uh, be churning and the waves slapping us around a bit. Peter warned us in his epistle at the end of Second Peter, think it not strange concerning the fiery trials which await you. God knows what he's doing. And he has an agenda for each of us personally, and trials are part of that. I've had a, about a dozen close friends just this past month lose their jobs, mostly in the medical field, for not choosing to be vaccinated with COVID-19 vaccine. They've lost their jobs. They're suffering. They're trusting God. They're paying a price. They don't have trust that the vaccines are good for them. And unprecedented in American history, it's being forced upon them, and the government uses the businesses to crush them. I've had some close friends uh, take the vaccine under pressure of losing their jobs, and now they're terrified of the possible side effects of the vaccine. I pray all the best for those that are vaccinated. It's about half the people that I know and love. So I don't want that ever to be an issue to divide people. But it's the totalitarian element of the vaccine that really troubles me, that really fits with the biblical prophetic scenario that I expect. We clearly are no longer a free society like we once were. But neither were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They chose not to obey King Nebuchadnezzar. They chose not to deny their faith and bow to his golden image. Nebuchadnezzar was furious. The fire was heated seven times hotter than ever before. They were thrown into the fire, but uh, they were not alone. The fire mysteriously had no power over them. Nebuchadnezzar looked into this fire and said, I threw three men into the fire, but I see four, and the fourth is like unto the Son of God. And God rescued his kids. Likewise, their buddy Daniel defied Persian emperor's orders. He was civilly disobedient when he was forbidden to pray to his God. He didn't hide it all, threw open uh, his shutters and prayed as he always did. He was busted. He was thrown to the lions. But 
The lions mysteriously were not hungry that night. They sort of turned into little kittens for about half a day. Then in the morning when the emperor found that Daniel was saved by his God, the emperor in anger towards Daniel's accusers threw those accusers into the lion's dens and the lions had mastery of them and tore them to pieces. God rescued his kid. I ask you, who was the safest Moses or Pharaoh? I ask you, who was really in control, Pilate or Jesus? I ask you, who had the most power, King Ahab or the prophet Elijah? God didn't put the easiest way before his greatest people. Joseph had it hardest of all the 12 sons of of Jacob, while his brothers had the easy way. But God was with Joseph and used him to the saving of the nation while those pathetic brothers lived in guilt and shame for the rest of their lives. If it hadn't been for the horrific trial, none of us would even have a clue who Job is or was. Noah needed a flood to be the man that we love and respect. I believe the last day's church is facing its greatest test. Yet, I fear not. Did God prepare a table in the wilderness for his people? Uh, yeah, like three meals a day for like 40 years for like two million people. God protected, God provided, God guided his people every step of the way. When I see God's faithfulness to his children through both the Old and New Testaments, when I see his faithfulness through church history, my nervousness turns into excitement. The greatest heroes rise from the most trying times. I believe opportunity awaits us in the family of God, in the church of Jesus. I read again through the Hall of Fame of Faith in Hebrews 11, which of them, all those great, I think, 37 saints named, which of them had an easy ride? Uh, none of them. You know, when my eyes are on self, I'm a pathetic, powerless wimp. But when my eyes are on Jesus, I'm bold as a lion. When I am empty of self, I'm full of him. My confidence soars. You know, when fear for my grandkids creeps in, Jesus reminds me. He loves those kids way more than I do. He reminds me he's big. He reminds me he's good. He reminds me, I love you too. When I fear concerning financial uncertainties, he reminds me he is my provider, not Social Security, not the New York State Pension Fund, not my portfolio. God is my provider, Jehovah Jireh. When I get that sick feeling that it ain't fair for the controllers to take away our freedoms using COVID as their cover story. When I see the innocent losing their jobs, being called evil names, I'm reminded of the fate of the persecutors. It would be better for a millstone to be hung around their neck and cast into the sea than to hurt one of God's children. I think he might be looking out for us, huh? 
I'd rather be in the persecuted minority for a very short season than to be in the persecuting majority whose price to pay for their evil is eternal. When Jesus said, be you ready concerning his second coming, I'm sure he had all of our world's pressures that are in our face now. I'm sure he understood every bit of that. I'm sure it was in the forefront of his mind and his heart. Don't forget Jesus loves you. Divine readiness is a work of the Holy Spirit. I see Paul early in his ministry. I'm ready to preach the gospel to you who are at Rome. I see him at the end of his journey say, I'm ready to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. That divine readiness, you know, little children are ready to walk. They're ready to talk. They're ready to go to school. They're ready to ride that bike. They're ready to get those training wheels off. They're ready to play little league ball. They're ready to go to middle school. They're ready to get their driver's license. They're ready to go to college. They're ready to meet that, that life's mate. They're ready to build a house and ready to take those vacations. Divine readiness. Well, readiness is a very important part of where we're at now. He spoke that be you ready in the same chapter that was given completely to his second coming, the Olivet Discourse. Be ye ready, gave several examples, the uh, virgins that were unprepared, and um, if a man was ready, he would not have allowed a thief to break into his house. So I want to kind of give some thoughts today about divine readiness. I see it in three different layers, three different spheres three different sections. Number one, and most importantly, spiritual readiness. Stay in God's word. Nobody can do that for you. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves as the manner of some is, but much more as you see the day approaching. I've always needed church. I've needed God's house. I've needed a pastor. I've needed teachers. I've needed uh, older people to mentor me. I've needed younger people for me to mentor, but I've always needed the church of Jesus. But as that day approaches, I need church more than ever. Spiritual readiness. Meditate on God's promises when the doubts try to take over your mind. Memorize them, hide them in your heart, quote them back to God. Give us help from trouble. In, for vain is the help of men. Psalm 60 verse 11. Truly my soul waiteth upon God. From him cometh my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation, I might add, and my provider. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. Psalm 62 verses 1 and 2. Spiritual readiness. Our greatest opportunity to glorify God seems to be at hand. When God bragged on Abraham, why was it? When God bragged on Job, why was it? When God bragged on Moses, why was it? Why did all those names get into the Hall of Fame in Hebrews chapter 11? They believed in God when times got tough. When God asked Abraham to offer his only son Isaac on the altar, which seemed to break every tenet of Abraham's faith. God is not the taker of life. He's the giver of life. This doesn't fit. That's what the pagans do. Why would he want me to do that? I waited all these years for a son and now he's 12 years old, the apple of my eye. And I have to sacrifice him. He's dead. How can God make of me a great and mighty nation if I kill my son? Aha. Uh -huh. 
God always keeps his promise. If he wants me to take my son's life, he's going to raise him from the dead. (laughs) He just knew God's character. He knew God can't lie. He knew God was good, and he believed God. He trusted God, and God got pretty happy about that. Remember Job, when he was on the bottom, he cried out, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I don't know what's going on, and I don't know why, but I know that my Redeemer liveth, and I shall see him the latter day upon the earth. Moses chose rather to suffer affliction with the children of God than to enjoy the pleasures of Egypt for a season. They trusted God. They believed in him. That's what God is looking from us. If I have ability to teach or preach, it's not mine. He gave it to me. If I have great resources that I can share to advance God's kingdom, I can't glory in that. He gave them to me. If I have talents, they were God-given. But the one thing that we all have that we can glorify God in that nobody else really has, and it just kind of comes from our heart back to God, is faith. And I know he initiates our faith. I understand that. But some people just trust him with everything. God gets pretty happy about that. And I believe that what's happening around us, the the tightening of Satan's grip, if you please, I like that phraseology. I think God has us in mind. He's not going to forsake us. He's not going to leave us. He's he's not going to just abandon us. He's with us, but he's testing us to see if our faith is the real deal or not. I am prepared to praise my way through whatever the enemy may put in my path. I face nothing alone and neither do you. We just got to suck it up. Quit you like, man, gird up the loins of our mind and be mature about this. God, you're good. You know what you're doing. I trust you. Number one, spiritual preparation. Number two, soul preparation. Choose to be with builder-uppers and not terror-downers. Choose to be with people that will strengthen your faith and not wear you down. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. I would suggest you tune out the mainstream news. Don't let your head, your mind, your heart get full of all the evil lies. Satan wants us to think he's way more powerful wants us to think that he's completely in control when he really is not. He's a lot weaker than what he wants us to think that he is. Get some good sources of real news. Reach out to others more and more. Give praise, trust, do anything you can to help build up others because as you give, you receive from the Lord. Number three, least important, but I think it's I think it deserves some attention physical preparation. I prepared in kindergarten for first grade. I prepared in grammar school for middle school. I prepared in middle school for high school, prepared somewhat in high school for college. Preparedness is a part of our culture and every other aspect of life. I take vitamins to try to build my immune system because I had vitamin D, vitamin C, zinc, magnesium in my system. When I got COVID, I hardly had any symptoms at all. I was physically prepared for that. Physical preparedness is important. I changed the oil in my car every 5,000 miles with synthetic oil so I don't have to change my engine every 25,000 miles. 
physical preparedness is a part of everyday life. What would that look like for preparedness for the end day scenario? If the bottom really falls out of our economy, what would it look like? I consider myself a prepper in the spirit of my great grandparents who grew their food in the summer, preserved it in the fall, and they were ready. While other people were going to the grocery store, uh, they were just going to the root cellar. I try to be as self-reliant as possible, way more so than system-reliant. I'm hearing word through a lot of my sources that the supply chains are breaking down. I've seen off the coast of uh, Los Angeles, hundreds of boats, uh, ships, uh, container ships just sitting there unable to get processed, uh, food uh, going to waste. Supply chains broke down a bit in the early days of COVID. We see a lot more empty shelves than we once did in our stores. You're not able to get a whole lot of things that you always took for granted. So I would suggest stock up on non-perishables as much as is possible. Right now, the system is pretty much working. So use it as long as you can to be prepared to no longer need it. Network with friends and family on sharing of items of need in a time of crisis. The Bible says two are better than one. A threefold cord cannot be easily broken. Have backup systems for heat, for water, for shelter. Be ready. Be ready to take in a widow or someone else who is less prepared than yourself. I'm hoping that none of this will be necessary, but it's exactly what the early church did and did well when the noose got tightened around their neck. Better prepared and not need it than needing it and not being prepared. I'd like us to close out with just thinking, listening to the words of Jesus when he taught us to pray, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, that kingdom awaits. Oh, that kingdom draws nigh. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. Think of all the promises awaiting us. Reunion with our loved ones. Oh my goodness, I can't wait to introduce you all to my dad. It'll explain a lot of things to you. Oh, my grandma Gladdy was saved out of Jehovah's Witnesses when she was 69 years old. Wait till you meet my grandma Gladdy and have some of her little dollar pancakes, the best pancakes in the world. She'll have them waiting for me and my friends on the other side, just let that sink in, not just our family, our loved ones, but you know, we get to hang out with guys like Moses and Elijah and Peter and James and John. We get new bodies. The older I get, the more I like that promise. No more health issues, no more type two diabetes, no more metformin. Bring on the ice cream, dear Jesus. (laughs) But you know, the greatest part of what awaits us, we will be in the very sacred presence of the Lord Jesus himself. That paradise lost in Eden will be the paradise regained at his appearing. So my friends, I think the pressure is on. I think it's the last days of the church age. I think God knows exactly what he was doing. His first coming, the timing was perfect. 
the Greek language was a universal language, so the gospel could go in the world so easily. You could speak the Greek language, which Paul did. The roads were in place. There was a semblance of safety and travel the world had never known before, but the Romans, God used the pagan Romans to get that done. And then it was time, and a virgin brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes. This time it will be perfect this time. In the meantime, let's not complain about the problems. Let's rejoice in the opportunities. Let's keep our eyes on the Lord Jesus. Keep our minds in his word. Let's keep our hand on the plow. Let's be on mission. Let's tell people what's happening. Hey, thanks for tuning me in. I'm hoping that you'll like this, that you'll share it with your friends, and uh, help me get the gospel out to the ends of the earth. Bye-bye for now. Love you. See you soon.